6, 5, this is the 542 in the Blue Podcast, Discussions of Law Enforcement, History, Issues and Incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by Scott Lunsford, Retired Police Detective, Sergeant, Author and Researcher. 4, 3, 2, Scott, your mic is on. Thank you again, Alice. Welcome back to 542 in the Blue. You may notice a little bit of difference in the sound quality. We're borrowing a studio from a friend of ours, and it has a little bit of a different sound to it. The equipment's a little bit different. I'm hoping that it will increase the quality of the, sh- of the podcast. Please, if you have any thoughts on that, please go to my website, scottlunsfordauthor.com and there is a link to 542 and the Blue Podcast that you will find there on my website. Thank you again, Alice, for getting us started with this. Now, coming to you from... Oh, I'm being told I can't say where I'm at. Can I say I'm in an underground bunker? Perfect. All right. Our shade of blue in this podcast on 542 and the Blue puts us in the great outdoors along the Appalachian Trail. For those of you who don't know, the Appalachian National Scenic Trail, generally known as the Appalachian Trail or simply the AT, is a marked hiking trail in the eastern United States extending between Springer Mountain in Georgia and Maine. The trail is a little over 2,160 miles long. The exact length varies and changes over time as parts are modified and rerouted for various reasons. The Appalachian Trail is thought of as one of the longest marked hiking trail only, hiking only trail in the world. It's estimated more than 2 million people hike on part of the trail at some point, at least once each year. The idea of the Appalachian Trail came about in 1921. The trail itself was completed in 1937. Improvements and changes are, like I said, ongoing. There are at least 31 trail clubs and multiple partnerships that help maintain the Appalachian Trail. The trail itself is managed by the National Park Service, the United States Forest Service, the nonprofit Appalachian Trail Conservancy. Most of the trail is in forests and wildlands. The trail does pass through some towns and uses some roads as part of the trail. The trail section in Hot Springs, North Carolina is a good example of that, not too far away from where we're at right now. The Appalachian Trail in Hot Springs is also the setting of one of my latest juvenile books, juvenile fiction books, The Bigfoot Best Friend. That is book number two in the Girls from Gift series, Girls Investigating Fantastic Things, a young person's novel. All right, now we're through with that commercial. Let's get on with our shade of blue.
The trail passes through 14 states, Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, of course. Two young people in 1981, a Laura Susan Ramsey and a Robert Mountford Jr. were hiking on part of the trail where it passes through Virginia. Both were social workers from Maine, and while hiking they met a young man by the name of Randall Smith. The two social workers had observed how Smith appeared troubled and socially uncomfortable, naturally because of their life calling of social workers. They wanted to help, and they tried to draw him in socially and talk to him and share their information about their trip with him. It is thought that Smith early on in life had retreated into his own fantasy world after having a very hard childhood. Apparently, as a young adult, Smith was a loner who spent much of his time in a sort of a fog and who both craved companionship and yet lashed out at anyone who got too close. The day the couple met and tried to befriend Smith, he apparently misunderstood Ramsey's pleasantries and attention and made a pass at her. Mountford intervened, interrupting same, and Smith ran off. More than likely, the hikers thought the situation was over, but it wasn't for Smith. Smith returned later and brutally murdered both of the young people. Virginia District Attorney Osborne, who prosecuted Smith for the hiker's death, is on record before he passed away in believing that Smith's lack of experience with women he was never known to have or girlfriends or to date anyone, led him to become obsessed with Ramsey because she was friendly when he met her at a store near the Appalachian Trail. In an attempt to conceal the homicides, Smith took the possessions of the murdered hikers and buried them and hid them in a complex pattern aligned with compass points, as if Smith wanted to be sure he could find them later. Further investigation showed somebody had backtracked on the trail and removed the logbooks that are found at trailheads and shelters, hikers' sign and date. These were missing for miles down the trail, making it hard for the investigators to develop a timetable of the two hikers, Mountford and Ramsey's travel before their deaths. Records from Smith's 1982 court proceedings say that his mother and father had divorced when he was about six months old, and except for the 15 years he spent behind, behind bars, he lived with his mother until she died in 2000. Smith's mother had worked at the local hospital and lived in a small town, normally in this type of community. Children congregate in yards, they play together, there's little league, other sports going on, but uh, Randall Smith stayed apart from the other children in the community, staying mostly to himself. He continued this even into high school. He did develop a lifelong interest in collecting arrowheads and seemed to enjoy being out in the woods alone a lot. Smith dropped out of high school after he finished the 11th grade and made several trips to Newport News, Virginia, 
where he worked doing welding jobs in a couple of shipyards. By the mid-1970s, when he was a little more social and talked to anyone, he developed a habit of telling wild stories and tales. He became well known for this and picked up a nickname of L.R. or Lying Randall for telling of his tall stories. Smith told stories of girlfriends and even children he claimed to have, but no one knew him to actually have a romantic relationship of any kind, according to his neighbors. Tom Lawson, the Sheriff's Department investigator in 1981 that investigated the homicides, said that Smith was also known for his collection of pornographic magazines, many of which he had laminated and were put in plastic sleeves like collectibles. Smith was known, like we said, to vanish from the community for weeks at a time, then show back up as if nothing had transpired or that he had never left. When asked about his absences, he would often reply, quote, it's my weekend to have the children, unquote. According to newspaper accounts, after the homicide occurred, Smith disappeared again, this time going to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina where he was recognized and arrested. It just so happened that one of the investigators working the case was vacationing in Myrtle Beach and was able to be notified and was able to interrupt his vacation to transport Smith back to Virginia. When caught, he claimed to remember nothing of his life, even his mother's name. Psychological testing concluded that he was more than likely fringing this amnesia and that reports of hallucinations and delusions were probably fabricated. Smith had no criminal record prior to the 1981 killings. Then once he did commit the crimes, the murders of Ramsey and Mountford, then going to court the next year and his attorneys working out a controversial plea agreement that brought Smith a 30-year prison sentence, of which he served about half. State of Virginia law at that time mandated parole after 15 years of a life sentence, unless objections were made. At one point after the 15 years, there were no objections made. Mr. Smith was released. After serving basically just seven and a half years per each killing. Smith's solitude continued after he got out of prison. In his nearly 15 years in prison, he had only one visit from his mother and none from anyone else. After he reached his mandatory parole date, Smith returned to live with his mother at the edge of Ingram Village in Virginia, just below the Appalachian Trail, which ran along a nearby ridge close to his house. His mother died in the year 2000. Smith still didn't work, leading most of his neighbors to believe that he drew some sort of disability check and was required to wear an electronic monitoring device on his ankle as part of 10 years of supervision by probation officers. He spent nearly all of his free time at home indoors, according to the neighbors. Randall Smith rarely spoke to anyone as he came and went. When he did talk, it was more hard to believe stories about having a girlfriend who was a doctor in Florida 
and whose family had given him a home there when she died and how he was going to go down there after he got off the probation. Other times he talked about having a home in Las Vegas. In April of 2008, Randall Smith's water was cut off for lack of payment. On April 30th, a missing person report was filed as he was still on probation and he had not checked in with his probation officer and they could not locate him through use of the ankle bracelet that he was required to wear. Missing person report was filed. Police checked his mailbox and found that it looked like he had not picked up his mail since the beginning of March. Two months later, after he had disappeared, a pair of fishermen reported to local police there that he was on a section of the Appalachian Trail near Dismal Creek. What had happened was, on May 6, 2008, Smith attempted to kill two fishermen less than two miles from the site of the 1981 murders that he committed. The men were fishing and camping along Dismal Creek just off the Appalachian Trail when Smith, a visitor, stopped by their campsite. After having some polite conversation, the fishermen fed the stranger a dinner of fresh trout and baked beans, after which he told them, guys, I got to get out of here. Then he quickly pulled out a pistol and began shooting. Both men were wounded but escaped. They were both shot twice but survived. The victims identified the man to local police as the same individual that was on a missing person poster that was being distributed around town and looking for Smith. He had befriended the two fishermen who shared their dinner with him and then opened up fire on them without any type of warning. Attempting to escape in one of the victim's trucks, Virginia State Trooper, a couple of days later, saw the stolen truck as it passed him along a country road. Turning on the truck, the vehicle sped up and attempted to get away. A chase ensued, but it turned out to be a very short one. The fleeing driver, Mr. Smith, losing control on the road and leaving the roadway, rolling the pickup truck over several times before it came to rest. No other vehicles were involved. Smith was taken into custody after this short chase and high-speed collision and rollover. While he was in custody, Ronald Lee Smith, 54 at this time, was discovered later by his jailers lying unresponsive on his side on the floor of the jail. Smith was being held in a medical area in a cell by himself and he died in jail four days after his arrest, a result of injuries he received in the car chase, a single vehicle car wreck. What or who was Smith? We look back at the story, disturbed loner, harmless liar, confused individual, mentally ill person, a cunning killer, perhaps just an evil man. Who was Ronald Lee Smith? Is there a mystery surrounding the man who pled guilty to a notorious double homicide on one section of the Appalachian Trail? He was paroled from prison for the murders. Then his attack later on two fishermen and the similarities of that attack to the 1981 killings. These facts had locals and hikers up and down the 2,000 mile Georgia to Maine length of the Appalachian Trail wondering and speculating about their own safety. 
Smith was going to be charged with two counts of attempted capital murder, two counts of using a firearm in a commission of a felony, possession of a firearm as a convicted felony, and grand larceny for taking the truck. In the incident involving the shootings of the two fishermen, Sean Farmer of Tazewell, Virginia, and Scott Johnston of Bluefield, Virginia, were able to recover from their injuries. Smith had pled guilty to two counts of second-degree murder in 1982 in connection with the Ramsey and Montford killings, both of them 27 and both from the state of Maine. Was justice done in the trial of the killings of 1981? Justice may be a man-made concept. We know that Lady Justice is blindfolded and attempts to make fair decisions as much as she possibly can. But it is good to know that in the universal scheme of things, Lady Karma has Lady Justice's back. A word of caution to the evil of the world from 542 in the blue. Never underestimate the lady at the back of the room. I hear she's a bitch. Five. Four, three, two, one. You have been listening to the 542 in the Blue podcast. Discussions of law enforcement, history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by Scott Lunsford. For more information, go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. You can find links to the podcast and information on Scott's books and how to order them. Scott can be reached through the message portal on the contact page. This is Alice, podcast producer. Background theme Mystery Sex by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons. 2. 1. End.